Welcome back to another episode of Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Kerr, a.k.a. The Ginger, and it is good to be back in a new year. Happy New Year's, everybody, and no, Larry David, it is not too late to say Happy New Year's here on January 4th. We're just getting in in time. I give it the one-week rule. You got one week to wish everybody a Happy New Year's if you see them after that. It's no longer a happy New Year's. It's uh, it's into the new year, and you've reached the bo- the point of no return at that point. But anyways, happy New Year's to everybody. Hope you had a safe and happy holidays and a great new year. And you're kicking things off right by joining me, the Ginger, here for uh, Season 3, Episode 1. Yes, you heard that right. Season 3, Episode 1 here. And uh, as always on Triple G, we are busy and on the go, but let's get rid of a couple housekeeping items here before we get right into it. Talking week 18 football, we've got David Dragemeyer on from the Locked On Chargers uh, podcast talking about the big Sunday night football matchup between the Los Angeles Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. So um, huge matchup, probably the biggest matchup in the NFL this week. Um, there are a few on the slate that are pretty big, but none bigger than that one as it is uh, what the NFL always wants, and that's win and get in. So we're going to cover that with uh, with David. We're going to talk about what we learned in Week 17. We're going to look at a few, uh, a few specific games, and we're going to talk a little Coach of the Year and um, some specific teams and quarterback situations that I wanted to touch upon. And then we probably won't have a break tonight. We're going to get right into uh, the golf portion because it is a little quiet, as most of you know, in the golf world, other than the PGA Tour kicking off their 2022 season. So we've got, I believe, 49 straight weeks now here ahead of of us of golf on the PGA Tour in some capacity. Champions Tour, DP World Tour, and the LPGA Tour kick off and the corn fairy tour kick off later on uh this month so we will get into that we've got some nice golf guests lined up ahead of us well i'm sure we'll have some more football great uh football guests ahead of us throughout the uh the playoff run and into the off season as uh, there's always lots to talk about in that so let's get right into it uh we're gonna bring uh our guest on here and talk about a big big week 18 matchup between the Los Angeles Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. Let's bring them in. All right. All right, Triple G listeners, let's give a warm welcome. First time on the pod. We don't actually or haven't had a lot of uh, West Coast presence here on the uh, Triple G podcast. First guest of season three, starting it off in the new year, David Drogemeyer, San Diego native, Army veteran, and more importantly, host of the Locked On Chargers podcast. Welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure. Like we were talking about before we started recording, I was a guy like you, started up my own podcast with a partner of mine who I do the Locked On podcast, you know, Locked On Chargers with, who, you know, his name is Daniel Wade, and we grew our show from the ground up, literally where we had no listeners to where we, you know, we get a lot more now that we're working with Locked On. So it's always a pleasure to help out another podcast. Uh, that's that's great to hear. And uh, yeah, it gives a little uh, positivity for sure. Because, uh, you know, starting it off, you know how it is. So it can... Uh, yeah, it it's rough, man. It could be rough. I, yeah. I definitely understand it. Well, let's, uh, let's hop into it. Because there's no bigger game than this week, week 18, in the, the longest NFL season that we've had in NFL history in terms of number of games played. Uh, for these teams, and it's been a wild ride for those Chargers. Talk about the wild ride that it's been because, you know, they've beaten the teams and gone up against the likes of, you know, the Chiefs and and so on and so forth and within their division. But mm-hmm. then they, they lose to teams like, you know, Houston, 41-29, and 
Um, they've had a couple strange losses, you know, the, the Bengals 28 to 13. I know it's a division opponent, but you know, when you look at that chargers roster, they're hands down better than the Broncos. So talk about that wild ride that it's been to get to nine and seven. Yeah. I think for the, for this team, you look at this chargers team and you just see a, an explosion of talent on both sides of the ball. They have playmakers pretty much at every level. I mean, the first thing that you look for is a premium quarterback and the chargers certainly have that in Justin Herbert. He is everything that you want in a quarterback. He is, has the size, he has the arm strength, he has the look, he has the intelligence, and he has the ability. And he's able to you know, really understand uh, offenses and understand defenses and what they're trying to do to him. He's really developed and he's turned into a mega star. Uh, and the Chargers, great wide receivers, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, great skill positions like Austin Eckler on defense. You got guys like Joey Bosa, one of the premier pass rushers in the NFL. Uh, also, Derwin James, who is just an all-world defensive player. I don't even think it's really fair to call him a safety at this point. I think he's just a weapon. He's just a defensive weapon that can really do anything. But the Chargers, I think the word that you're looking for here is consistency or the lack thereof. This yep. Chargers team can play with anybody, and I think that they've shown that with wins over the Chiefs, with wins over the Browns, the Bengals, the Steelers. They have some good quality wins in there, but – their effort is not always where it needs to be. Now, the loss to the, the the Houston Texans, they had a lot of people on on the COVID list, and so did the Texans. But I was at that game, and I can just tell you they just didn't play with the same energy and effort that we've seen the majority of the season. So I think that was more of an outlier. Um, but the Chargers just have never been able to really get hit their stride and go through a winning streak. They haven't won more than two or three games in a row this season, and it's because – they haven't been able to get a consistent effort from all three phases. All three phases have to be connected. Your offense, your defense, and your special teams have to complement each other, and we just haven't seen that on a consistent enough basis this season. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense, and, and that's why, like you said, you see those those inconsistent results and, and not being able to stack wins and put three or four on top of each other. Um, like some of these teams like Green Bay and Kansas City have done over the course of uh, of 2021 here. David, you mentioned you mentioned Justin Herbert, and I want to flip over to the to the star quarterback and what we've seen out of him here in, in year two. What have you seen specifically in terms of his improvement in year two? And what do you feel he can do in year three? I know this season isn't over yet, and, and they're hoping to, to get into the playoffs, and that'll also help him in his development. But where does he need to get to at that next level where we can see we don't necessarily need to see a jump like the Bills had with Josh Allen, but where can he improve? Is it his game management situational um, football type of um, handling, or is it just a continued progression that we're going to see? Well, I think Justin Herbert has been on such a meteoric rise since he you know, became the starting quarterback of the Chargers mm-hmm. after Tyrod Taylor got his lung punctured by the team doctor and could not go in. Justin Herbert got literally five minutes of notice before he was supposed to go in there and, and go toe to toe with the defending Super Bowl champion chiefs at the time and, and nearly won his first game. Um, but I think what the chargers did to really make things simple for Justin Herbert in his rookie year was kind of give him some partial reads where you'd only have to really scan one part of the field. Yeah. And he was able to make a read and, and get rid of the ball and he just made some incredible plays out of that because he is very athletic. He can really uh, throw the ball in the run. He can really create after, and he's really strong. He's hard to take down. So if you don't get a, like a solid straight up hit on him, he's going to be able to sh- kind of shrug you off. Um, and as far as like where he's gone this year, it's really been about the processing. I think, uh, you know, Daniel Popper of the athletic who covers the chargers came out with a phenomenal article talking about some of the things that came out of this past game against the Broncos and it was about how he is an elite processor of the football field. Now he's really able to go through the entire field and read from one to five and be able to make a quick decision. He's a great processor out there. And I think that's, what's really, really been good about him in year two. He's developed very, very strongly in that way. This guy has all the physical gifts and all the intelligence that you want. So at this point, it's really just fine tuning the details And I think for the Chargers and for Justin Herbert, they have an incredible amount of cap space that they're going to fall into in this offseason. And I mean, like top two in the league, 70 plus 
million dollars in cap space. So they're really going to be able to do whatever they want. And the window for the Chargers is right now. Justin Herbert's on a rookie contract. They already have a lot of their stars already signed and locked up for the foreseeable future. They, they just need to add a couple of pieces. They need to get a right tackle. They need to get another corner. They need to get another edge rusher. And they need to get somebody in the middle of the defensive line to add some more youth to that rotation. I feel like if the Chargers are able to get those pieces. Oh, by the way, they also have 11 draft picks in the upcoming draft as well. Yeah, so that's right. So much capital to be able to just target those specific areas that need improvement and really add to the depth of this team. And I think the Super Bowl window is certainly open. Yeah, and, w- and when you have that much space in terms of cap room and draft capital, you can you can target those those niche areas of your roster yeah more than once like you you can you can maybe swing and miss on a on a fourth round pick at at interior d line mm-hmm. and be able to get a veteran in free agency at the same time to kind of provide a little bit of insurance there so you're not Definitely. fully fully missing right yeah, yeah, absolutely right. I mean, they're in just such a unique situation right now with the amount of cap space that they have and they don't really have too many guys that they need to resign. There's a couple like Uchenna and Wosu, potentially Mike Williams, Derwin James. There's a couple of guys that are going to get paid, but the Chargers have more than enough cap space to really go out there and address and attack any area they want to and they can even swing some deals if they want to too because those draft picks obviously those those are hot trade commodities and and so they, they have a lot of ammunition uh, at their disposal to really target whatever they want to in this offseason. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned uh, the right tackle position. I'm going to I'm going to swing over to the bookend other side for the left tackle spot. It's a good place been, to be. I've, yeah, I've been pounding the table all season long and I know he's not going to get it. Yeah. But he he sure as hell deserves it in my mind because he's to me, he's a top three, four left tackle already walking in as a rookie off of uh, off the street here be after being drafted and that's Rayshon Slater yeah. how good how tell our listeners how good he's been because they've heard it from me all year David and I need I need you to back me up on it oh I, there's no no way I'm not going to Rayshon <laughs> Slater has been absolutely phenomenal this season and it doesn't matter what you ask him to do and I think you figured out very very quickly in the Chargers first game it was test time because it was you know, it was Chase over there and at the Washington football team. Yeah, the, the guy's an animal. I mean, he he routinely destroys your best offensive lineman, and Rashawn Slater shut him down. Chase Young was completely erased from the game. Yep. He had no impact whatsoever. And I think when you saw that, you're like, okay, we got a dude here. And it's not just his pass protection. He's a road grader uh, in in the running game as well. I mean, when the Chargers run behind Rashawn Slater, they're averaging around seven yards a carry. It's It's just unbelievable. His athleticism, his intelligence, he's such a technician. He has only given up a pressure. And I mean, not even a sack, but a pressure once every 30 pass blocking snaps, according to Pro Football Focus. The guy is absolutely unreal. And to... To get Rashawn Slater at the 13th overall pick was absolutely incredible for the Chargers because I thought he was going to go much further, much earlier than that. And also, it was the Chargers' biggest need without question. They had tried multiple times over the past decade to fill that position, and they have not been able to do it until they have invested premium draft capital in that position. And now they look what they get. And Rashawn Slater is one of the best tackles in the NFL, rookie or not. That's right. That's right. There's no doubt about that. Um, I want to stick with the offensive line and we'll shift over now to the to the big matchup here uh, coming on Sunday night football. Yeah. Against uh, against the divisional rival uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Are you worried um, or have you heard anything in terms of Corey Lindsley in this back injury? Because I know how important Slater is, but I also know how important Lindsley's been in not only the line calls, but just kind of bringing that line together and really providing um, better protection for Herbert and this offense to, to operate and cook a little bit. So first of all, um, 
Brandon Staley, the Chargers head coach, said that he is day to day. He does not think it's going to even hold him out of practice. So Good. I don't think there's any uh, concern that he'll miss this Sunday night football game. Also, he's a veteran. He's a warrior. He knows how important this game is. They all know how important this game is. So, and also, this is the end of the season, guys. Everyone is feeling it right now, no matter yeah. if they're saying it or not. Football is a physical, violent, taxing game. And it's always going to be that way. They're all hurting, but they all know that it's real, literally win or go home. So they're going to go out there. If they can move, they're going to go out there. But there's no concern with Corey Lindsley. And Corey Lindsley has been a revelation for the Chargers. I mean, it's so it can't be understated to be able to bring in an all-pro, like literal all-pro, in the prime of his career and lock him up with a rookie quarterback a guy who's been working with one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history and That's Aaron right. Rodgers, Rodgers been yep. able to identify those mannerisms, be able to see what Aaron Rodgers sees and kind of get comfortable, get him comfortable, take some stuff off his plate. That's what he's been able to do for Justin Herbert. He's been able to, he keeps his back to, to the, to the huddle because he wants to see what the defensive formation is in. So he can relay that to the rest of his offense to give them just that little bit more of a leg up. And that's just one of those little things besides identifying the protections and setting those things is the reason why he's the type of player that makes every single player around him better. He's a multiplier uh, for the chargers and he has been phenomenal. He, let, let me give you this, just one stat on yeah. Corey Lindsley. Corey Lindsley has given up one sack the entire season. Yeah, that's incredible for an interior offensive lineman, right? It just it's so easy to slip by or a stunt. Well, or, yeah, when you got guys like or... Aaron Donald in the middle who just terrorize guards and centers, for a, a center to not give up more than one sack in a 17-game season is nothing short of amazing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And especially even uh, up against a, a division opponent in a Chris Jones. And I know, yeah. I know Chris Jones was on the outside a little bit at the start of the year, but they still kick him down inside. Um, from time to time so uh, for sure and they'll have their hands full um, this week with with Max Crosby and, yeah. and Yon Ngakwe so they'll need both uh, Slater and Lindsley and that entire offensive line operating at in full full capacity David uh, what's your key to the game offensively for the Chargers and then more importantly in my mind what's your key defensively for the Chargers to uh, to go ahead and take control of this game yeah, so I, I think you like what you've seen on the outside for the corners of the Raiders. So what I'm looking at is, is targeting the linebackers in coverage. Uh, you know, Denzel Perriman has been phenomenal this year, and the Chargers have a lot of familiarity with Denzel. But the one thing we know is that he can't cover to save his life. He's yeah. a tackling machine, and, and he'll run you over in the run game all, all day long. He's, he's an absolute thumper, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for that part of his game. But he can't cover a wet paper bag. And so when you got a guy like Austin Eckler, who is just a demon, who defenders just, they lose sleep at night over this guy because of what he can do in the open field and how strong he is, how agile he is, how low to the ground he is, how great his, his contact balance is. Austin Eckler is going to absolutely dominate those linebackers. And I'd be looking at trying to stress them out in the middle, run the football at them, and also try to get Austin Eckler isolated on the linebacker Whenever, whoever it is, it doesn't matter any of their linebackers and just attack. And yep. once you've done that and you soften that up, then you can hit them over the, over the middle and over the, and, and deep and find those soft parts of their coverage because they play a cover three zone where they have a single high safety. And so I think you saw with the chiefs going up against the Raiders, they attacked that all day long and, and yep. they're the only team that and the, and the Raiders trust. didn't, the Raiders didn't, David, the Raiders didn't, they didn't come out of it. Yeah, no, they yep. didn't. They, they got, they got pounded into submission and they didn't make those adjustments that are necessary. And yep. then on defense for the chargers, it's a, it's about, a, it's about getting pressure on Derek Carr. Mm -hmm. Derek Carr is a different quarterback under pressure. I think he's completing about 73, 74% of his passes when he's not under pressure. When he is under pressure, it's under 50% completion percentage. So it's a an, it's a huge, huge, huge deal and, and very important, especially for him because when he gets hit, he starts to hurry up. He starts to feel pressure that's not there and he's not at his best. And it's, some, it's funny because Joey Bosa made a comment that said, hey, you know, we got to hit this guy. We got to make him feel uncomfortable. You know, if you hit him, he, he you know, he kind of folds up. 
And yep. Derek Carr uh, took exception to those comments, but the proof's in the pudding. I mean, you you put on the you put on the tape, and you can clearly see that pressure in his face really causes him to speed up his process, and that's what you want to do. And of course, you want to identify where Hunter Renfro is, especially in the red zone, and you got to keep an eye on to see if Darren Waller is going to come back because those are two of the major weapons. I'm not really concerned with anyone else on that Raiders offense. No, and I would I would agree with that. Is is you know if, if Waller does come back, he's probably your your number one concern. And then uh, you know twenty four seven as they like to call him in, yeah. in Vegas, Hunter Hunter Renfro, who's developing into you know a Cooper Cup type of uh, type of receiver. For yeah, sure. he's a weapon for sure. Yeah. Who's you mentioned getting pressure on on Carr, and, and yeah. I can't agree more with that, David. If Bosa can't get there and they decide to double and triple cover Bosa at times, mm-hmm. which which I'm sure he's going to see. Sure. Who's who's the player for you that's got to get home? Is it a, is it a Tillery? Is it even a Derwin James coming off the edge on certain blitz packages? Um, who's the guy that you feel can can win his one on one matchup and and really kind of wreak havoc with a sack or two or a sack fumble type of thing? Well, I think if the Chargers are able to get interior pressure in this game and against really any quarterback, that's where you really want to get it the most. Because if you ask a quarterback where they want to get pressure or where they don't want to get pressure the most, it's from the middle. They'd love to get the pressure on the edge because they can step up in the pocket. But if they get pressure coming in their face, then they have to you know spin around and try to get out of it. And you really have to make sure that your edge rushers keep a hold of those uh, rush lanes on the outside. So you don't let him run out because he will do that from time to time. So I think you really want to get that interior pressure and uh, really force him to try to create Derek Carr is not that agile. He's not that fast. So if you make him think you make him pause, that's where you're going to get him on the ground. I love it. I'll get a couple more questions here before we let you go here, David. Um, Brandon Staley, what is it like, for the fan base in terms of his creative play calling and also his creative game management situations, like we've seen in, in primetime situations with him uh, going forward on, on fourth downs against the chiefs and, and other such teams. So what has that been like uh, for the fan base and, and, you know, are they accepting of it or is it something that they're used to by now this late in the season? And do you see that continuing all the way through the playoffs in the big moments? First of all, 100% it's going to continue because that's who he is. That's his identity, and that's the identity that he's formulated for this team. And as far as Brandon Staley, you know, being his you know, his first year as a as a head coach and as of the head and as the head coach of the Chargers, he's been phenomenal. He, he's been mm-hmm. such a change, such a nice breath of fresh air because the two guys that were head coach of the Chargers before him, Anthony Lynn, Anthony and Lynn, Mike yeah. McCoy were like milk toast. They have no energy. They have no personality. They were very hard-nosed, very old school, very conservative. Brandon Staley is completely the opposite. He's a very strong communicator. He is a player's coach. He's very relationship-oriented. And, you know, he he really believes it. And people believe in him. People really understand. This guy is incredibly intelligent. And his meteoric rise from Division Three to head coach in the NFL – that, that happened over about six or seven years for him. So he really is that kind of wonderkind uh, as a head coach, if you will. But the team loves him. The Charger fans love him. His press conferences are appointment television because he's such totally a good agree. communicator. You learn about football. You learn yep. about life. He's just the type of guy that endears you to him. You really feel that that just authenticity that comes out of him. And I think that's really what you want. And I think that's why it's so easy for this team and this fan base to get behind Brandon Staley. I mean, it's just, you know, it's been such a big difference and it's been a really welcomed change for the Chargers. Yeah, you're, you're right. And it, you know what is, I saw the clip there a couple of weeks ago with him standing up in a, in a team meeting. Yeah. And, and the point about, uh, the point was about preparation yeah. and being prepared and setting a plan and, and having that all in place. And, there he is up in front of a team yep. of grown ass men mm-hmm. and he's using the example of Kevin McAllister and, yep. home, alone, and home alone. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm just sitting in my mind going that takes first off, takes a lot of balls. Yeah. Second off, more importantly to me is the trust in the players have in him that, 
you know, so guys like you and me would, if we were to get up there and we, we'd try that and people would be like, okay, what is, what is this guy talking about? What are yeah. we doing here? Like, but obviously he's built up enough, enough trust there within that locker room and with those players that they get the point, they, they understand it. And it's an, a different way. It keeps their attention, right? Well, he's able to show his personality and who he is too. And yep. he's not afraid to do that either. But just going back to finishing up your question, is that game plan going to change if they get into playoffs? Absolutely not. And the reason for that is they want to give their best player as many opportunities to convert as possible. And their best player is Justin Herbert. So on fourth down in those situations where they either feel like they need to go for it or the situation dictates that they go for it, according to analytics, then they're going to go for it. They're uber aggressive and they believe that nine times out of 10, the best plan of action is putting the ball in your best player's hands and letting him go make a play for you. And I think if you look at the numbers this season, Justin Herbert has done that more often than not. Totally agree. David, uh, let our listeners know before you go here where uh, where we can find your work. And uh, thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm glad that you reached out. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Music, Spotify, TuneIn. We're on video on YouTube as well. And you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnLAC. And you can find me on Twitter at DrotalkSE. I talk about all kinds of things. Obviously, a lot of Chargers a lot of Padres, some WWE from time to time, but I am more than happy and welcome to talk about pretty much anything sports related. So please don't hesitate to hit me up. Yeah, there's some great stuff there as well, David. So I'll make sure our listeners uh, find you up for sure. Thanks for coming on. Enjoy the game. And uh, we'll have to catch up in the offseason and we can chat about uh, that $70 million in cap space and the draft uh, that the Chargers have available to them this offseason. Be more than happy to do it, man. Take care of yourself. All right, a great breakdown there from David. What a pleasure. We'll have to have him on again in the offseason, like I said there, to talk a little bit about um, all that cap space and room and draft capital for the Chargers and what they may do in the offseason and the draft. So that will be real interesting to follow. To be honest, um, you kind of want to see the Chargers get in to help the development of Justin Herbert. It's time to get him some playoff experience and see if he can take it to that that next level. Being a Bills fan, I do compare um, Herbert to Josh Allen in terms of physical traits, physical abilities, um, similar points in their career. Okay, Herbert's a, you know, a couple of years later than, than Allen, but... Um, pretty similar in, in what they can do and what they offer to their teams and, and how important they are to their team. So I think it's important here for Herbert to get in. In terms of the Raiders and why I wouldn't cheer for them, yes, they would be a nice story because of everything that's happened from from Ruggs to Gruden to uh, Hobbs this, this week with the DUI again. Um, Rich Bisaccia, which we're going to talk about here shortly, uh, has done a great job picking up the pieces there in, in Las Vegas with all the di- distractions and gong show that's happened here. But um, I think we know what Carr is as a quarterback. And, you know, uh, I think for Derek, it, it's really, you know, I don't think the you know, he's had a, t- a cup of coffee in the playoffs before. And I just, I just don't think... He's got at this point in his career what it takes to to really lead a team to a Super Bowl run. He would need a pretty special roster around him to be able to have that. You know, he's had some nice pieces in Oakland and Vegas now here, and it's just never materialized. And um, it'll be real interesting to see if he can get this this Vegas team over the hump and and get them into the playoffs into a a six or seven seed here. So um, thanks for David for coming on again. Now let's hop into. Um, what we're going to talk about here from my side in um, the premiere episode here on season three. Um, folks, make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Triple G and ask and you shall receive. It is up and running. It's got a few videos on there. We've got our YouTube trend, uh, channel operational and going now it's uh triple g gingers gridiron and golf podcast we've got a few videos from the uh, the football trip up there some uh, sunday videos as well and uh, as we transition over into our new recording app here in the month of january uh, we'll start to get our weekly podcasts up there as well 
Thanks for everybody, all 76 people who joined us on our uh, Instagram Live on Saturday, January the 3rd, I believe, um, or sorry, January 1st on New Year's Day, 7.30 p.m., uh, some great interaction. Thanks for everybody for popping on there. We're going to continue to do things like that, especially as we work our way through the NFL playoffs here. Don't forget, folks, confirmed wild card weekend here after week 18. We will have two games on Saturday, the traditional 4.30, I believe 8.15 start. And then we will have three games Sunday, uh, 1 p.m. Sunday, which will be um, January the 16th, I believe. So the 15th, January 15th, Saturday the 15th is going to have two games, 4.38.15. The 16th, the Sunday, we'll have three games, um, 1 p.m., 4.40, and 8.30. And then there, for the first time that I've ever seen, uh, there will be a wild card Monday night football game, I believe 8.15 or 8.20 will be the kick there for the six wildcard games in the wildcard weekend. And then the divisional round will get back to status quo for the NFL, and that's that Saturday, Sunday with the double up on both each game being in a primetime slot on their own. So that's kind of the next couple weeks after we hit uh, week 18 there. Um, so that will be um, something to keep an eye out as the playoff schedule gets finalized. But before we kick off uh, week 18 and, and breaking that down, what did we learn in week 17? And what I want to touch upon here is as the playoff picture starts to materialize and we see in the AFC that we've got, you know, five of the five of the seven teams locked in Buffalo, New England, Cincinnati, Kansas City and Tennessee. And then in the NFC, we've got, you know, Green Bay locked in at that number one. We've got Arizona, the Rams, Tampa Bay. Um, and the Eagles locked in on that side. So you've got uh, five of those seeds locked in. Is And we talked about this on, on the Instagram Live in terms of the quarterback situation, and, and we kind of honed in on the NFC and, and what we've got. But there's five teams that, that clearly stood out to me, um, one of them being a playoff team, four of them being non-playoff teams, that really need to figure out what they're going to do at the quarterback spot. And, and they have a, a quarterback that either they've had for a bit and they've they've tagged as their franchise guy or it's their franchise guy and they're on the way out or the current regime has brought them in. Um, and let's start with the Cleveland Browns and their decision with Baker Mayfield. We saw the display um, that, uh, that was on for Monday night and it was just absolutely terrible. And I know Baker Mayfield's hurt and, and that has a, a, a little bit to do with it, but... Um, it's the decision making. It's the missing of open receivers. It's the the ability to not be able to catch the get the right read and miss the, the those reads that he should be hitting here in year four. Um, and poor decisions throwing the ball down the field like that Green Bay game. Okay, yeah, there's some some bad refereeing and calls that went against Cleveland in that, but. There's also four interceptions there, and that 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 can't be blamed on the referee. And there, there's two decisions that that just are egregious by Maker, Baker Mayfield. So, real interesting because Cleveland's now starting to be rumored in the Deshaun Watson um, situation, and what may happen in the offseason with that. So they've got some real heavy lifting to do in terms of the decision on Baker Mayfield and what they want to do. Uh, I mentioned on the Instagram live that I thought Baker would be back. I'm starting to question that now after seeing that Monday night performance. And I know you're never as good as you are. You look in one week and you're never as bad as you look in one week, but um, it's been a tough season for Baker Mayfield and a tough four years for him really, other than last year. Um, so the Browns, they're in a tough spot as to what they want to do. The second team I mentioned about was that the team, the main team is that's in the Deshaun Watson race and almost pulled the trigger on it. And that's the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I mentioned it on the Instagram live that it's fool's gold, uh, this, this seven game winning streak and this great job. And we've seen the teams that they beat and we've seen the way in which they do it. And, and the analytics, a deep dive into those numbers told us that, that Tua Tungavailoa can just not throw the football down the field. And there's just no down the field vertical threat. And you can tell me that, okay, you didn't have Will Fuller all season long and you can go ahead and do that. But, but just like I said, it's fool's gold. It's fool's gold. This guy cannot throw the football down the field. Is he accurate from four to, to eight yards? Yes. 
but there's a lot of quarterbacks that have come through the NFL that are accurate from from you know zero to nine yards, right? Because that's you look at your throw charts, it usually goes zero to nine, ten to fourteen, or ten to fifteen, fifteen to twenty, twenty uh, um, twenty five plus. Sometimes it's fifteen to twenty four, whatever chart you're looking at. But usually that that first zone across from left to middle to right when you're looking at a quarterback throw chart usually goes zero to nine. Some of them go zero to seven, but it's mostly zero to nine. There's a lot of quarterbacks that that are accurate from from that distance, and can can come in and do a serviceable job just like Tua has. But this is back to back seasons now in week seventeen that the season's been on the line, and he has put a poor poor performance out. And you've got a Miami D that was playing just as good as almost any in the NFL, and to get your ass spanked thirty four to three and only put up three points is absolutely despicable. And to me, Miami's got to go back to that well and figure out what they want to do. Um, are you going to try to continue to surround Tua with, with these great weapons? Uh, Jalen Waddle and, and uh, Devontae Parker, who struggles to stay healthy at times, and Preston Williams, who is a physical mismatch but just doesn't seem to get open enough or, or get the ball enough. And Mike Gusecki, who's a vertical seam tight end and uh, I'm not sure that that that's if that's going to be the game plan long term down the road when you're in a division with Josh Allen and Zach Wilson who showed a little bit of promise here in the last couple weeks and Mac Jones who I know is not the be all and end all I'm not going to hop on that bandwagon but I'm not also going to say that Mac Jones is at his ceiling there's room for improvement there and he's going to get better so real heavy lifting as well for, for the Miami Dolphins. Atlanta, another team, they're in a tough spot. They've got to decide what they want to do with Matt Ryan. Um, a lot of people said they missed the boat. They should have went with the quarterback here in this year's draft with Fields being available. I'm not so sure. Um, I think you might want to be patient. I also think that if they can bring a veteran quarterback in, um, maybe a Russell Wilson, maybe a reset there can help. Um, I'm not sure if Russell would want to go there, but uh, there's a couple viable options out there that may help. Um, maybe a Kirk Cousins, right? If you can get Calvin Ridley back, but they've got a, a lot of work to do, not only with Matt Ryan, but also to continue to improve that roster. Pitts is a is to me is a generational tight end. Uh, not too many first year tight ends come in and and have done what he's done um, on on that team in Atlanta there. So well done to, to Kyle Pitts. Denver, uh, got to figure out that to me, that this is the number one team in terms of you, you add up Cleveland, Miami, Atlanta, Denver's ready to win. Now, um, you had Von Miller, you had, you have Bradley Chubb. You got a great secondary, uh, with Simmons and, and some of those corners, Sertan and, uh, the weapons on offense that we've, that old boy, uh, Dutch and I have all talked about, um, and they just can't find the quarterback. You know, Teddy's a, Teddy's a game manager, and, and Drew Locke's just a turnover machine who, who just can't seem to put it together um, and puts the ball too much in harm's way. Got to find a way to, to go out and get somebody. Um, so you may, to me, you may see them in the, in the Russell Wilson race or the Deshaun Watson race as well. And then an interesting team that I threw in here now is, is San Francisco. Trey Lance comes in. Shows well, a um, little bit of a slow start, but they they really come on at the end there and, and win easily um, in their matchup against Houston, who's playing decent. And I know it's Houston, but twenty three to seven. I think this week and week eighteen is a real crossroads for this organization here in San Francisco. Um, I'm not so sure that that Kyle Shanahan wanted Trey Lance. I think deep down in, in a lot of what you hear is, is he wanted Mac Jones. Um, you know, he he was part of the reason Jimmy Garoppolo come over. And if you've run your course with Garoppolo, you made it to the Super Bowl. You didn't quite get over the hump there. But Garoppolo's a system quarterback who's going to get the ball out on time. And he's not going to put the ball in harm's way. And, and he's going to stay in the pocket. And he's going to deliver the ball. And, and he's going to let the design of the offense and the mastermind and Kyle Shanahan dictate what's going to happen. 
Sound familiar? That's Mac Jones. To me, Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan wanted Mac Jones as his quarterback. And I think John Lynch got his way with Trey Lance. And we've had a little taste, a cup of coffee, um, a couple of sips of coffee here and there. Week five now, week 17 now with Trey Lance. And we've seen some, some splash plays, some wow plays. And if Jimmy Garoppolo and that thumb cannot go in a must-win situation here in week 18 against your arch rival, the team that has your number, or you have their number, sorry, um, Shanahan always seems to to get McVay, I believe. I think I got that right. Um, and Lance comes out and and puts the wood to him. And really, they go ahead and win this game and, and make it into the playoffs. And they, they necessarily don't even have to do damage. Um, what happens with Jimmy Garoppolo? And there's another piece out on that that market for a, for a, um, a Pittsburgh a, a Denver, a Carolina who's rebuilt and has a good defense and has some decent pieces now and feels that they're a quarterback away. I know they've they've agreed to that fifth year option with Darnold, but you know, could you could you wheel a deal there? San Fran um trading with Carolina, Darnold for for Garoppolo, um, and Darnold backs up Lance as as a as a second option. Just throwing it out there, but to me, those were five teams that uh, that really stood out to me that are at a quarterback crossroads in terms of what they're going to do. Um, you know, in terms of what we learned in Week 17, there's not a whole lot now. It's now it's about narrowing down and getting into uh, the nitty gritty and, and the playoff picture, which we're going to get into shortly here. But um, you know, to close out the quarterback conversation. We'd be remiss to not talk about uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger and his Hall of Fame career, and uh, and what happened there in in uh, in Pittsburgh on Monday night, just last night. I'm not a I've I've never been a Big Ben fan, huge fan, but he's he's warmed up to me over the the last couple of years as his as his career started to diminish a little bit, and he he might have held on here a, a year too long, but. I respect the Pittsburgh Steelers and the organization and what they've allowed Big Ben to do uh, to go out on his terms. Sometimes it's tough to see, you know, the Belichicks of the world and a lot of these organizations um, kind of trash can the, these these um, Hall of Fame type quarterbacks. You know, look at look at the mess in, in Green Bay and how they've mishandled that. You know, once again, first class by the Pittsburgh Steelers, whether you, whether you like them or not. Whether they're force-fed to you by the NFL as as one of the premier organizations uh, or franchises in in this league, uh, you can't deny it. They are. They're they're a pillar of stability in terms of their head coach and Mike Tomlin to Chuck Knoll to Bill Cowher. Like we're talking three coaches in in how many years here, folks? How many quarterbacks? Right. Like it's just it it's they're a pillar of stability. They handle things in the right way. And I I respect it, and I'm not a huge Steelers fan, never have been. But uh, Pittsburgh's a hell of a city if you're if you're looking for a party and and some some sports, uh, great city to go to, by the way. But uh, well done, Pittsburgh Steelers. Good on Big Ben Roethlisberger. And you know what? You you see the Colin Cowards of the world talking about you know, oh Big Ben was a uh, you know when you add it all up, he's a waste of talent. And what about Brady and Rodgers? You know what? Nobody's going to stand a candle to Brady. But what I will stand up for with Big Ben and, and, and what I am getting tired of hearing about is Aaron fucking Rodgers. Don't get me wrong. Three-time MVP, probably one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever put on cleats on this on this earth in terms of accuracy and throwing the ball in the right spot. But don't sit here and shit on all these other quarterbacks and Big Ben. You know what? Big Ben can can put his hand up and go, there's two rings on there. What do you got, Aaron? You got one. So anybody who sits here and says that Big Ben is a, you know, he didn't add up to his talent, 6'6", 250 pounds, you know, and, and, and decides to bring up Aaron Rodgers. Don't get me wrong. When, when you add up all the numbers, I, I get it. I, I understand it. But... When we look at the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and and when you make arguments for quarterbacks and why, you know, 
this guy hasn't done this and any and, and you know what's the number one argument with Matt Stafford? You know, you add up you're going to add up Matt Stafford's career. He's got some of the greatest numbers of all time. He's led Calvin Johnson and Cooper Cup to two of the greatest wide receiving seasons in NFL history. But what's the argument? You haven't won the big game. You haven't won in the playoffs. Well, there's a guy sitting there that everybody absolutely adores every fucking year. And he's 1-5 in in the NFC Championship game, and he's got one ring. And he's 39 years old. And yeah, he is the MVP of the 2021 NFL season. But to sit here and say that that Big Ben and, and Eli Manning and all these other quarterbacks don't hold a candle to him. Well, how many rings you got, pal? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Because, you know what, I, I may not win an argument or a debate on it in terms of, of what Rodgers does, and I totally respect it. But all I'm saying is don't shit on these guys, some of these guys that, that um, the Big Bens and the the, uh, the Eli Mannings and some of these quarterbacks that, you know what, they may not throw for historic numbers, but they know how to win football games, and, and that's what Big Ben did. He knew how to win football games, and he when he came into this league in 2004, um, he was an elite talent, and he did things that not everybody could do, and I think we've uh, we've forgotten about that. And I've said this to numerous people uh, off air. When I look at Josh Allen and I look at Justin Herbert, I see a lot of, of Big Ben Roethlisberger in both of those players. So, And that's why I'm so quick to defend those two guys because they're elite talents, just like Big Ben was when he came in in 2004. All right, let's talk about Coach of the Year. I wanted to get into that. I had a couple shout-outs for some Coaches of the Year. Lafleur, um, Vrabel, Zach Taylor is the odds-on favorite. But two people that I thought, Vrabel was one with everything that's happened from Henry to Julio and AJ not being on the field. So he was a guy that I know he's getting the pub and he's uh, odds on. He's he's right up there with Lafleur and Zach Taylor for what he's done. But um, I'm not a huge Mike Vrabel fan, um, but I've got to give him a shout out in terms of coach theory. He's done a hell of a job in ten- Tennessee, whether you think they're frauds or not. Um, they're 11 to five and they're the number one seed heading into this last week. And if you were to say, um, to any coach in the NFL that you're going to miss your, your probably top three running back in the NFL, your number one running back and your top two wide receivers are going to probably play three or four game, four, sorry, four or five games together on the field at the same time. Uh, and you're the number one seed in, in the AFC conference with, with the chiefs and the bills and the Bengals and the Patriots. And and all the and the Colts and all these other teams, you probably wouldn't have taken it. So shout out to Mike Vrabel. Shout out to Bill Belichick. <clears throat> yeah, that hurt to say that. Yep, I did say it, but it hurt. Uh, but shout out to Bill Belichick. Um, that Ross, the defense is is stacked with some real good players and and some game changers for sure. At the addition of Matthew Judon, we've seen what that's done for them, um, and they've still got that back end really strong. With uh, with J.C. Jackson and McCord, one of the McCordy twins, bringing back some pieces with Van Noy and Hightower off the COVID list, um, but that roster's still not championship level. And you know what? He's done a great job with with managing the defense, managing the rookie quarterback, and not having elite weapons around a uh, rookie quarterback. A lot of that credit probably should deserve to go to Josh McDaniels as well. So it might be a Bill Belichick slash Josh McDaniels. But we're really well done job coaching um, by the New England Patriots as a staff and for Bill Belichick because he's in charge of that staff. So well done there. And my number one shout out has to go to, and to me, he's the coach of the year. Two and five start, I believe, maybe even two and six. Talking about growing flowers out of the concrete and we've got to water them. And he was the laughing stock. I believe it was... Uh, they are nine and seven now. So yes, two and six start, I believe. I will double check it right now. But Nick Sirianni and the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, a hell of a job. Couldn't run the football. Why are we not running the football? Um, they were all over him. What is this guy talking about at his press conferences? Um, he's not ready to go. He can't be an NFL coach. He can't lead men. And the ability to be adaptable, to get your point across, much like we talked about with David, um, 
um, in terms of uh, Brandon Staley, but a hell of a job uh, by Nick Sirianni and his staff um, coming in there and really turning things around and sticking with uh, Jalen Hurts and you know what what was going on there. Um, yeah, two and five start, two and five start, and then they uh, they reel off. They beat the the Lions forty four to six, lose a tight one against the Chargers 27-24, and then beat the Broncos thirty to thirteen. The Saints forty to twenty nine, lose to the Giants in a little bit of a stinker. Then you you start to roll, beating the Jets, Washington Football Team, the Giants, and then the Washington Football Team again handling your business. And now you've got the Dallas Cowboys. Perfect transition into our Week 18 and some of the matchups we're looking at here. Um, and not a, a whole lot on the line for that game. Um, sounds like the Eagles are going to rest their guys because really they're going to be the 6 or 7 seed um, in that um, NFC playoff pitcher. So you're, you're going on the road no matter what. And most likely you're going on the road for, uh, for all three games unless a miracle happens. And, you know, San Fran or the Saints uh, somehow make a, a miracle run through the playoffs on the road gauntlet. But um, so they're going to rest some guys. Dallas will be playing for some seating. So uh, interesting game there that'll happen on uh, Saturday night, 8-15. Chiefs-Broncos, not a lot happening there. The Chiefs will be playing for their seating. Um, looking to put a win in the bank. So I would imagine they'll have all of their starters going. Um, it'll be important for them trying to hold that number two seed, not trying to fall to three or four and maybe Tennessee gets knocked out and the road through, uh, through the AFC continues to go through Arrowhead. Um, but that will be key for them to get that Saturday 4:30 game in the books early, sit back and relax and be able to watch on Sunday and see how, um, the rest of it the rest of the the AFC unfolds in front of them. Packers Lions, uh, Packers are going to be resting everybody. They've locked up the number one. No point to talk about that. That Colts Jaguars game. There'll be a lot of team, a lot of uh, teams watching out for that one. Number one, the Pittsburgh Steelers will be watching out for that. They'll be playing at the same time, so they'll be checking that board Sunday at one o'clock as they play the Baltimore Ravens. As the playoff pitcher, they need that Colts team to lose. Um, if the Colts teams lose, Pittsburgh wins. I believe Pittsburgh is in. Um, and then the winner of that uh, Chargers and Raiders game will get in as well. So real interesting there. Um, if the Colts lose, effectively, the scenario, and I don't think the NFL thought this through when they um, flexed that game, Chargers-Raiders game, to the Sunday night primetime game. If the Colts lose and the Raiders and the Chargers were to tie. Both of those teams would get into the playoffs. So they could actually, and there's a four-hour window there when that Colts game finishes at 4.15, let's say, 4.20. Um, that, you know, not saying it would happen, but there's a possibility there. So um, real interesting there to see, but, it, it, you know, it's sport. It's most likely not going to happen. They're not going to collude together. Um, they're division rivals, and they're just going to go out and play a football game, and, and the winner will get in. Uh, Washington Giants, we're skipping right by that. Bears and Vikings, we're going to skip right by that. Titans will be playing those Texans for the number one seed. Huge implications there. I believe Tennessee can fall no lower than number two, I think. I think they possibly, I know they can't fall below Buffalo at four, so maybe to three if they were to somehow lose to the Texans on the road, um, who play them fairly tough. But, um, you know, Tennessee's going to be in that one-two slot, most likely um, maybe falling below Cincinnati, but I don't think so. I think they're kind of locked in at that one-two slot now. Um, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Baltimore's got an obscure... Uh, playoff scenario, so highly unlikely for them, but they are still mathematically alive at, I believe, um, 1% or 2%. Pittsburgh, like we talked about, they're going to be looking at uh, that Colts game specifically at the same time. And then the Bengals and the Browns. Uh, Bengals in an interesting spot in terms of what they are going to do for the starters. Uh, they want to hold on to that number three spot. 
if Kansas City slips up and they're going to, you know, most likely know uh, Saturday, Saturday night, what their uh, plan of attack will be in terms of how aggressive they want to get with their starters. Cleveland's been officially eliminated. Baker Mayfield's not playing. The Bengals can't fall below uh, the four seed. They're sitting at the three right now. Uh, they can't fall below the four seed because of the division title that they won last week, beating the Chiefs. But you know, Kansas City goes ahead, 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 and wins. And now you're looking at okay, well, we can only move up one spot if Tennessee loses. Uh, they're playing at the same time, so I suspect that Bengals game you're probably going to see a, a quarter to a half of football for those starters. See where the Tennessee game is at. Kind of play it by ear. If that if the Tennessee game is looks to be in hand or is up significantly, and the Chiefs won, then that's going to be uh, backup central uh, for both the the Bengals and the Browns. Huge game four twenty five as we flip over uh, for the 49ers and the Rams. Two huge division division rivals, close friends as coaches as we know. Uh, the Rams still playing for seating as well as they're inside that top four and uh, are going to fall somewhere with a victory. They'll be um, in that 2-3 seed spot uh, with a loss. They could fall, uh, I believe the Cardinals can still catch them. They have not clinched that west spot, so they're going to be playing for everything that whole game, and so are the 49ers. They have to win. Uh, they cannot lose because if they do slip up and the Saints beat, um, which has happened at the same time, um, if the Saints beat the Falcons, who are eliminated at 7-9, Saints sitting at 8-8, eight eight, then uh, the Saints will snag that last playoff spot away from the 49ers. So huge game there. Bucks panthers uh, Bucks at this point, um, still playing for a little bit of seeding here, but you've, you've won the South. You're going to be in one of those top, uh, you know, two, two, three, four playoff spots. Same thing as the, as the Bengals in my mind. I think you'll see a quarter to a half of football out of their starters, but for them, it's more about, you know, making it to that first round of the playoffs healthy for the Bucks. Uh, you know, you truly a quarter, I think for, for their starters. And then it's out Cardinals, same thing. They're going to be keeping an eye on, on that Rams game, seeing what's happening or, you know, real kind of realizing, Hey, are we going to be locked in at this five seed here and uh, playing against, you know, the Bucks or the Rams or, you know, not, wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be Green Bay, but, um, you know, uh, Bucks, Rams and, uh, or Cowboys. So, you know, we could see a rematch of, uh, of that week 17 matchup. Cowboys Cardinals again, or we could see uh, um, Cardinals at at the Buccaneers. Either way, um, the Cardinals will be a tough out for either of those teams, and even the Rams. Patriots looking to win, hoping for a Bills loss. If not, they're in kind of the same situation as the uh, as the Cardinals, kind of locked in at that five seed unless they slip up against uh, against the Dolphins. But they'll know right away if those if that if that that Colts team has lost. Um, earlier in the day, then you know the Patriots will be keeping an eye on that Bills game, but most likely locked in unless the Jets pull off a huge upset upset against Buffalo. They'll be locked in at that five seed um, and probably going to play uh, Cincinnati or Buffalo. Most likely, it'll be Buffalo. That's what it's kind of shaping up to be. I believe it was a twenty seven percent chance that uh, the Bills and the Patriots will play in that first round matchup in the wild card round. A uh, huge game for the Saints, and there's another guy you got to give a shout out to, uh, with everything that's happened to the Saints. You know, Drew Brees retires and goes moves on, and then you have um, everything that's happened from COVID to injuries to Michael Thomas situation. Somehow, some way, um, Sean Payton's got this Saints squad at eight and eight, and still hanging on by a playoff thread here, hoping for a little slip up from the 49ers and a gift from the Rams. They handle business at the Falcons, which is not an easy game. The Falcons are going to, they will be up for this one. Trust me. They will not want uh, that division um, opponent to uh, to sneak into that last playoff spot. So they would love nothing more than to knock off the Saints. And then to finish off the, uh, the big week 18 is the matchup that we've already talked about. And that's the Raiders and the Chargers. You guys know my feelings on that. So that is your NFL 
coverage here on Triple G for Week 17, Week 18, talking about the big matchup, talking about some coaches and, and the QB carousel. So um, let's flip it over now. We're going to go straight into it, short and sweet, no break, no segment here to uh, the world of golf. And we're going to start off um, first off by um, saying big day in the world of golf in terms of uh, some launches. We had TaylorMade Golf launch their Stealth line uh, for the drivers. Uh, it was what Tiger was using at the PNC earlier uh, in December 2021. So uh, huge for them. And then uh, Callaway Golf signed officially signs Abraham Answer and Yuka Sasso. Callaway Golf is still a sponsorship of the Triple G podcast. Um, we're going to have some more stuff uh, going on with them in 2022 here as well. So keep your eyes open to all of our social media feeds as we get into the spring and the summer. And um, they launched their Rogue line um, across the board. So huge day for TaylorMade and a huge day for, uh, more importantly, Callaway Golf. So uh, make sure you're supporting both of those companies, specifically Callaway um, for everything that they do for us and for everything that they do for all the golf courses on the green grass level across Canada, Ontario, and the world. So um, big day in golf and a big week for the PGA Tour. Let's get right into it. We are at the Century Tournament of Champions here. Uh, have to have a win to be here. Have to have a win on the uh, the 2021-2020-2021 PGA, PGA Tour. So I believe we started the week at... Uh, 41 guys that were scheduled to come um, to this event. We are down to, I think now, 38 or 39 in the field officially. So small field, a lot of big names. So uh, tough to, to find out where we're going. But uh, we are at Kapalua Plantation, as we always are for this event. Most of you guys know the guys and gals know the golf course. Designed by, uh, by Ben Crenshaw. Uh, it's the number one course consistently rated in hawaii it's in uh 7600 yards 7596 from the uh from the tour tees as they would say 77 rating 144 slope par 73 interesting design um the par threes are done after the 11th hole um two eight and 11 and it finishes off with five par fours and two par fives and it's always um the difference in the golf tournament holes 14 through 18 listen 14th holes a 301 drivable par 4 uh, risk reward um, with a small green the 15th hole is a 540 41 yard reachable par 5 that you can get home that's uh, slopes off severely on the right hand side of that green and leaves a difficult pitch so it's a great par 5 um, with some natural habitation um, hazard on the right-hand side off the drive and as you cross the ravine on the second shot. So a, gr a great par 5 there. 16 is a short 370-yard par 4, which is um, that can really, you can you can birdie. 17 is a long 550-yard par 4 down off of the uh, the mountain, if you will, straight downhill. And then we all know the 18th hole that can stretch out. Um, as long as 677 yards, but playing probably 80, 90 yards downhill. Um, usually they got the tees set up somewhere in that 630 to 640 yard mark. Um, and then you take off the, the slope of the downhill. And it's um, for most, most guys, it's a reachable par five. If not, um, they're getting it across the ravine and just in front of the green where it's a flip wedge. So when you start to, to add it all up, there's, you know, three, four real good birdie chances and some eagle chances uh, coming home on this golf tournament. And it's usually the difference. 10 out of the last 11 years, they, these guys tear it up. You know, you hear the 77 rating and the 144 slope. They tear it up. They tear it apart. Uh, 10 out of the last 11 years um, here at the Century, um, they've been minus 20 or better on this golf course. So it's a birdie barrage. Usually it's, you know, minus 23, 24, uh, I think Jordan Spieth was minus 30 a few years back when he won this golf tournament. So um, they will go low. There will be many birdies. Um, but the course record, 62 minus 11. It's been shot five times, including uh, by Xander Shoffley, I believe, in 2019 when he was the winner here. So um, perfect segue into our picks to close off the episode. Here we are. 
first week back on the PGA Tour. We got the G&D picks, and we're going to start with Dutch's picks. Um, Dutch is on a trip down to Florida playing some golf himself. So, Dutch, be safe down there. Enjoy your golf, um, and we'll catch you when on the flip side when you get back. But Dutch's picks, he's going with the guys we talked about in our Season 2 uh, finale. Um, some of the breakout players, and, and he's picking all three of them for this event. His first pick, 12-1. to 1, I mentioned it, 2019 winner. Lost in the playoff in 2020. Um, it's a big year for this guy, and um, I like this pick. I think he's going to start out big. He'll be in contention this week. That's Sander Shoffley. Um, then we got Sam Burns, 18-1. to 1. Um, So Burnsy's going to be his next pick, and then he's going with Jordan Spieth, 20-1. to 1. I like this pick. Spieth contended and played well here before. Obviously, it's been a while since uh, since he's been back, but I think he's going to be fired up to be back here, and I think he's going to want to play well. Ginger's picks. Um, we know how long the golf course is, and, and with the elevation changes here, yeah, he's going to want to grip it and rip it. Um, tied 7th in 2019, tied 7th in 2021, so he has been in contention and in and around here. Um, 12 to 1, I'm going Bryson DeChambeau. My rock steady pick, I mentioned him as a, as a new addition to the Callaway staffers. Always tough. It's tough for me to always pick guys that have just changed equipment, but I find with this Callaway equipment, this guy's going to have no problem at all. And no matter what putter he's got in his hand, he's going to be lights out. Abraham Answer, 30 to 1. Last year he was T17 in this event, so he's got a little bit of experience on the golf course now. Abraham answer I'm taking as my rock steady pick. And I had to. Uh, talking about the putter and Abe answer, um, not many guys putt better when they're on than this guy, and that's Billy Horschel. And he's at 70 to 1 as my long shot. 70 to 1 for Billy Horschel. No problem. I'll take 70 to 1 on Billy Horschel here in a small field event at the Century. Folks, that's it from me. Welcome to season three. It's going to be much of the same, bigger and better. Like I said, we got that YouTube channel up and running. So make sure you go over there and subscribe. It's Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. You'll see the logo. We got a few videos up from the trip um, that we did to uh, Cincinnati and Minnesota earlier in December. So get on there if you haven't already and check out our YouTube channel. There'll be more videos going up over the course of the next week. Make sure you're following us along on all the social media outlets. We'll have our picks up on Thursday morning um, for the uh, the century and moving forward for other tournaments as well. Saturday, we'll, as we always do, we'll have our Saturday pick sixes, and we'll keep that going throughout the playoffs as well. i got to get over 500 here. I'm real close. Best of, I hope all your fantasy dreams worked out for everybody that was in the finals or in the uh, third place or fourth place games or any games that were worth cash. Folks, welcome. Looking forward to a big season three, having you aboard. Thanks for all the listens. Thanks for all the subscribes and all the likes on all the social media. And we'll catch you next week. Thank you.